Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. A word of warning before we start. This episode includes some swear words. Listener discretion is advised. In March 2019, I got some good news. I'd been chosen, along with seven other journalists and eight campaigners, to be a Bertha Fellow. The Bertha Foundation was providing funding for journalists around the world to spend a year investigating and reporting on housing and land issues in their country of origin. We were a mixed bunch. I was looking at how the freeze in housing benefits in the UK was pushing people into homelessness. Then there was Satiris. A data journalist based in Athens and co-founder of Athens Live, Greece's first non-profit media outlet. Currently, I am investigating Greece's housing market and the inequalities impacting the most vulnerable in society. There was Protus in Kenya, Nyameka in Nigeria. Glenda in El Salvador, Rudra in Nepal, and Lilani Faha. Global Director of The Shift, an international organization focused on the right to housing. For six years, between 2014 and 2020, I was the United Nations Special Rapporteur on the Right to Housing. In the U.S., in Tennessee, there's Sharice Starr. I work at the Highlander Research and Education Center. In the Bertha Challenge, I focused on Black land loss. I focused on training, education, and movement needs to confront Black land loss happening in the U.S. South. And in Northern Ireland, Elfie Seymour, an activist, was working on the Build Homes Now campaign. A campaign which wants to see empty pieces of land all across the city be used to house the 36,000 plus households that are currently on the waiting list. And there was Omar. Omar Raddy. But Omar's journey on a fellowship would be different. This is his story. I'm Maeve McLennigan. This is The Tip-Off. I first met Omar Radi in the restaurant of the Frontline Club in London. A slim man in his late 20s with dark smiling eyes and a crop of black curls. I liked him immediately. Over the coming days, as we spent time getting to know the other fellows, first in London and then on a rural retreat in Somerset, I came to like him more and more. He was funny, 
respectful, engaging. And he was amazing at the guitar. Our rather cheesy late night sessions around a campfire were made all the more fun by him being able to pick out any tune we asked of him. His relaxed and jovial demeanour was a far cry from the work he was doing. So I was a little taken aback when I heard just how serious his mission was. Omar was from Morocco, and he was investigating land rights there. It was work he had already started. A fellowship uh, project uh, consists in investigating uh, land rights abuses um, through uh, this tool, this public policy tool in Morocco called Expropriation for Public Utility. There is approximately 5 million hectares of land in the country which is owned collectively as tribal land. These are historic plots, so there isn't always the legal paperwork assigning ownership. This bill allows the state to claim ownership of this land, kicking off the former residents, some of whom have had families who have been there for generations. It sounded like a really interesting project, and as we said our goodbyes at the end of our opening convention, I wished him well. Over the coming months, Omar would uncover all kinds of shocking things. Each month, on a group call, he would dial in, sometimes from a cafe, sometimes from a car, to update us on what he was finding. Just tell me how you are, and how's work going. Omar... Will you, um, will you start? I'm right now preparing the website, um, the website where I'll gather all the information and all the resources I, I gathered uh, about land policies in Morocco, etc., which I believe would be helpful uh, for all the people, uh, for communities, etc., because it's raw data and uh, also analysis I wrote, uh, and that will be put in all these uh, websites, including the videos, uh, etc. His research was bearing fruit. He discovered that 2,470 parcels of land had been expropriated in the last 30 years. He'd found that some landowners were paid only the equivalent of $3 per square metre for expropriated land, that was later sold off for as much as 600 times that price. The Uled Sabita tribe had lost their land, displacing around 300 families. The place they had called home was expropriated by the government and sold to the Adoa group, a company who planned to turn it into a golf course. Omar followed up and found that people displaced from this land were living in squalid and cramped conditions, often on the edge of cities. What happens to all the people living on these lands? And there is no public program for, for those people that are, who are kicking off. It makes them automatically poor. And also, there is a way of life, of farming, etc. Uh, that they have to forget because they have to go to, to live in the peripheries of the cities. These were issues that involved some of the country's most powerful people people that didn't want Omar to be investigating. Yeah, there's a lot of conflicts of interest. That's, that's what I've worked on uh, since years. This wasn't the first time Omar had exposed shocking stories around land rights. In 2013, he had reported that concessions to exploit sand quarries had been given by palace authorities to local politicians or party heads. And a few years later, he exposed how land had been offered as gifts to high-level individuals close to the state. So we were all working away, 
sharing our findings with each other, all coordinated by a South African journalist called Pearly. I'm Pearly Hubert. I am the co-director of the Bertha Challenge and I look after the investigative journalist um, during this fellowship year. Pearly would check in with each of us from time to time to make sure we were feeling supported and to hear how our projects were going. Then, one day, her phone pinged with a message. Omar had been picked up by the police and was being interrogated. And I remember him saying that one of the uh, um, policemen who interrogated him basically suggested that he leaves Morocco and just go away. It was the 26th of December, Boxing Day. And the next day, Pearlie messaged all the rest of the fellows on Signal. Hello, dear fellows, she wrote. Omar is in jail in Casablanca for tweeting a critical tweet about a judge. He has to present himself for interrogation and will appear in court again on 2nd of January. I stared at my phone, shocked, helpless. It turned out Omar was being prosecuted because of a tweet he had sent in April, eight months earlier. He had been speaking out about the prosecution of a group of activists who'd been sentenced to decades in prison. And Omar had tweeted about the judge and his ruling. I pissed them off and uh, they said enough with this uh, uh, journalist. Now he was being held in remand in prison, awaiting his trial. He wasn't being allowed his asthma medication and his family was worried about him. Indeed, we all were. Networks of human rights and land campaigners started to speak out. Protests were held in Morocco. Several hundred persons demonstrated in Rabat on Saturday to say no to the arrest of Moroccan journalist and activist Omar Adi, who was detained for criticizing a court ruling on Twitter in April. He was taken into custody on Thursday and his trial began the same day. Our group of Bertha fellows contacted everyone we could think of and soon Amnesty International and Human Rights Watch were supporting Omar's case. And then, on New Year's Eve, we got another message from Pearlie. Omar is about to be released, she wrote. It's trending on Moroccan Twitter. Happy, happy. I will let you know when he's actually free. Being processed. Omar was being released, pending his trial. Months later, in March, his trial finally took place. He ended up being given a four-month suspended sentence. Soon after, he was on another Zoom call with us all, making light of the traumatic experience he had just gone through. When I was in jail, I, I was not really scared. I, I just uh, thought I, w I was not prepared. I, didn't, I, 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 I wasn't expecting an arrest, actually. And uh, uh, given the fact that I'm, I'm really interested in, I'm just curious about crime in Casablanca and drug lords, etc. I met all of them. I met a lot of those people. I, I always heard about them. So I, I felt like I was in a first class flight. Um, it's a honor. It's a real honor to meet you, man. So, um, and they were very kind. They gave me cigarettes and um, I, had to, uh, I had to do some duties in their cell like uh, folding their, their um, uh, clothes, etc., in exchange of, uh, of having cigarettes. So it was a, quite a good deal. But he had a serious message too. In prison, Omar had met with other political prisoners. Across the country, people were being jailed for their journalism, for blogging, 
or even for writing political songs. In Morocco right now, we have the, the highest number of political prisoners and uh, journalists in jail. Uh, and there is a new phenomenon, uh, uh, artists in jail and the people, for, for an Instagram photo, you can go to jail. For a, for a YouTube uh, video where you speak out, you can go to jail. Omar was let out of jail after a week and he thought he knew why. News of his arrest had travelled far and wide. And uh, I think they thought he's a radical left-wing uh, journalist, uh, maybe only radical left-wing organisations will be uh, We'll do, we'll do the solidarity thing and campaign, etc. And we, we wouldn't care about them, they are not very visible. Uh, but what happened uh, during my uh, stay in jail is that a lot of people, and it was unexpected, uh, showed solidarity and indignation. But his interrogation by the police and security forces had made something very clear to him. That uh, working, on, working on lands in this time is very sensitive in Morocco and it's a lot of uh, deals and, uh, and interests that I'm, and strings I'm touching so, so I need to be careful in the next months. Omar was grateful for all the support he was getting but he was a little embarrassed too. He explained he wanted the same focus for other political prisoners. We all had a lot of questions for Omar what being arrested was like, how he was doing. Pearlie chipped in with another one. I'm, I'm also interested in, um, in when we've spoken, you, you are not a completely free man now. You are under surveillance. You are never alone. Um, you have had to make some changes to your life. Um, it will be very interesting for me if you can share that with us to the extent that you can. Uh, yeah, I don't get out by night. Uh, I, I, I use Tor and VPN connections and all my devices are now being audited by Amnesty, Amnesty Tech, you know, they, uh, the team, uh, the technical team to, just to, to, uh, to make sure um, I'm not, my, my, my devices are not bugged. Uh, yeah, and I, I never, I'm never alone, basically. I'm, I, I'm always with people. It's the only measures I, I do. Uh, it was just as well Amnesty International did look at Omar's devices. On the 22nd of June this year, they produced a report revealing they had found spy software on Omar's phone, a programme called Pegasus, made by the NSO group. This spyware doesn't rely on you clicking any fake links. Instead, it can infect your device using rogue cell towers or phone masts a portable device that mimics a normal cell mast, so when your phone connects to it, they get access. Here's Omar talking to Democracy Now. Uh, I don't know, he has a lot of features. He can use your microphone, he can use your keyboard, he can use your screen um, and uh, get any information that is uh, sto stored in your, in your phone. So I don't know uh, what the amount of information they they stolen from my phone, uh, but I'm sure uh, in this pro media pro state medias, uh, they published many information that I have exchanged even in Signal, which is uh, known that um, that is a very safe program. So um, I have evidence that that my own uh, conversations have been leaked to uh, pro state media. 
So his phone had been being bugged, essentially. And there was more. In that same month, the name of Omar's female housemate was published on a popular news site. The story accused Omar and his housemate of having an illegal relationship out of wedlock, and alleged Omar had been spotted drunk in the street. It was a complete smear campaign. But amongst all these weird smears were other worrying signs. The same article included details of a phone conversation Omar had had with an American researcher, a conversation he had thought was private. It was becoming increasingly clear that Omar was not safe, and there was more to come. Stay tuned after this. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juvederm.com. It's mid June by now, and Omar is having a rough year. He's been prosecuted for a tweet, spent time in prison on remand, and has found out his phone has been bugged. All the while, he is working away on his investigation into land expropriation in Morocco. Determined these threats won't stop him revealing how powerful companies and individuals are snatching up the tribal land of communities across the country. But Omar is pissing off some very powerful people. On June 22nd, Amnesty International published a thorough report into the spyware they'd found on his phone. And the next day... Within 24 hours, Omar was issued with a summons and he was told to... Um, present himself at the police station. Um, I was 
almost in daily contact with him at the time um, because he told me that he's under surveillance. He was very nervous. And I think Omar was scared. He's a real Moroccan man, so he never really told me he was scared except for before he was arrested. But I think he was, um, looking back. Pearlie and Omar stayed in contact via text. I'm reading some SMS between us. Um, where I go, Umar, I'm looking for you. Umar, where are you? For a, an entire day. And then in the evening, he wrote back, this is in July, he says, Hi, Pearly, sorry I couldn't answer earlier. I passed out twice today. Um, I have to rest. Um, I can talk this afternoon. I'm feeling better now. I should be um, getting back on to track um, and then I wrote back to say, Umar, I'm so glad you had some rest. Please take care. Let me know when you are good to talk. This was after two weeks, three weeks of him being summoned to appear in front of the head of counter espionage of Morocco more or less every 48 hours with just relentless interrogations that would last anything between six and 11 hours a day. The next day, the prosecutor, the general prosecutor of Casablanca, ordered the National Brigade of Judicial Police to investigate with me on the basis of the same information that has been leaked on this, um, uh, on this uh, pro-state media about me uh, being, uh, having been a spy for uh, for uh, I, I don't know what country, so uh, 24 I got the police summons and 25 I had I had my first hearing by the national the, the political police in Morocco. Omar was interrogated for hours on end. During the questions, the police revealed evidence that showed they'd been surveilling his phone since 2011. They told him he was being arrested on suspicion of espionage, that they thought he'd been passing state secrets to foreign governments though they had absolutely no proof to suggest this. They said that his being part of the Burfa Fellowship, the same programme I was in, was evidence of espionage, that he was working with Burfa's founder to channel information to South Africa or some other country. They said because Omar's bank records showed the grant money coming in and that he hadn't published any work, well, that was evidence that he was spying. But he had been working away, he just hadn't published because of all the harassment he was dealing with and the fact that we were locked down because of COVID-19. The Moroccan authorities, the head of espionage um, or counter-espionage in Morocco was almost literally um, serving Umar with summons every second or third day. So he would be in interrogation, he would get home late at night and... At the end of the next day, he would be served with another summons. Um, The communication between me and Omar then were quite erratic. He spent a lot of time with his lawyers. Um, The Bertha Foundation was named um, in a state-owned online news organization called Shuf TV and accused of... um, being an arm for MI6, I know, bizarre. Um, 
and Umar was accused of espionage. It would have been laughable if it wasn't so serious. A charge of espionage and undermining the state could have serious consequences. Treason carried a high penalty. And there was worse to come. Then, um, towards the end of July, um, suddenly things changed. I got a message from Umar Peli. I spent the whole day at another police service. This was expected. They're investigating now a new case um, of sexual assault against me. This is such bullshit. I spend another 11 hours with them. My brain feels fucked up. And tomorrow I'm going back for the ninth summons about the espionage case. They want to take me down at any cost. It is clear now. Nothing of the espionage is sticking. They are desperate. They're now accusing me of rape. When I first heard that, it gave me pause. Not because I believed Omar was capable of such a thing, but because I've always been of the mind that sexual assault victims should be believed. Their cases should be taken with the utmost seriousness. But this charge had appeared out of nowhere. There were questions to be asked. Afaf Banani, another Moroccan journalist, wrote a powerful opinion piece in the Washington Post, describing how she was sceptical of Omar's sexual assault charge. She herself had been brought in by police in Morocco and over eight hours of interrogation was aggressively pressured to say that another journalist had sexually assaulted her. I say confess, she wrote, because from that moment onward, it was clear that if I refused to comply with the regime's narrative of being a victim, I would face the fate of a criminal. She later found out that police had falsified her statements and that excerpts of her alleged testimony had been leaked to state-aligned media outfits. The journalist she was being pressured to implicate, Tufik Boucherin, ended up jailed and was given 15 years. A court in Morocco has increased Tufik Boucherin's sentence to 15 years in prison for sexual violence. The head of the independent Dili Akbar Ayyub newspaper has repeatedly denied this. His defense denounces what they call a political trial. Tawfiq Bouachirin maintains his innocence on all charges. The Moroccan state clearly had form in charging people they didn't like with sexual assault. Omar has been held in prison in Casablanca for the last two months. He's been interrogated relentlessly for weeks on end. He's been held in solitary confinement. The prison he's been kept in is a COVID hotspot. Amnesty International has counted at least 10 activists and journalists who have been illegally detained and tried since November last year, all for writing stories that angered the state. I last saw Omar in February. He was in London and I was rushing to read at an event and so I only had time for a quick hug and a hello at the door. He was smoking, as usual, and seemed a little drawn and pensive. I told him how good it was to see him, and how glad I was that all the unpleasantness was over. Little did I know what was to come. The other Bertha fellows have been just as shocked as me. I asked them what went through their heads when they found out the news. When I heard what had happened to Omar, I wasn't shocked. Not at all. I was furious. I mean, Omar is a great investigative journalist and an activist whose work is playing a vital role in the production of news and information in his country, in a country with such an oppressive regime 
where it's hard or even dangerous for journalists to operate. Omar was arrested because he was just doing his job, exposing corrupt land deals, implicating powerful politicians and business people in Morocco. That's why I'm furious. When I heard that Omar had been arrested, I was distressed and deeply concerned. His voice, his work, speaking truth to power is so very important. I was angry. I was angry because I'm angry at the structural powers that causes the injustices. I was really angry to know that he was being caged because of him speaking light and truth and speaking for what was right. Omar will next stand up in court on the 22nd of September. Here he is talking to Amy Goodman at Democracy Now! before he was taken into custody. Omar, uh, if you're charged with treason, could you face the death penalty in Morocco? Uh, the uh, criminal code articles, yeah, the, it's, it's large, and I, I, I don't know. I think, I, th I think they have no evidence against me, and, and this is an empty case. But uh, if they want to charge me, I can go from one year, five year to, uh, of prison to death penalty. But I think it's unlikely. This is, uh, this is not really serious, uh, because um, um, I, I can, they cannot, the state they cannot consider that I'm an, an individual. I'm in a war against all the institutions. I'm not in a confrontation with the state. I'm an individual that needs to uh, do his journalism uh, in, in, uh, in, in, in a safe way, and people let me do it in peace, and also to let me uh, express myself as I, as I want to. I I'm, I'm not in a war against anybody. You can hear he can't quite believe the danger he's in. But it's clear the Moroccan state does not want Omar Radi to keep reporting on injustices in land rights. Next week, Omar will hear his fate. Decades in prison, life, even the death penalty, are all options. If you want to support Omar, you could write to or tweet at the Moroccan embassy in your country. In the UK, the Twitter handle is at Morocco in UK. Amnesty International Ireland has a petition urging the authorities to stop the harassment of Omar. I'll post a link to that in the show notes. This episode was hosted, produced, and edited by me. Our theme music is by Dice Muse. Stay tuned for more stories behind the headlines. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. 
Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> 